The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, here we go. Psalm 47 to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Okay, we're in Joshua chapter 12. As Ron said this morning, we're just burning right through the book of Joshua. And just unbelievable. Compared to uh, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we're really going quickly. But today we're only doing six verses, so we'll slow it down just a bit. Uh, it's Joshua 12, 1 through 6, and this is entitled, An Inheritance Toward the Rising of the Sun. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon, and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead, from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Kinneret, as far as the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth-Jeshimot, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtorot and Edrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salka, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites, and the Maakathites, and over half of Gilead, to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. The thing about going through the Bible verse by verse, as we have been doing, is that you learn as you go. Actually, I had somebody email me just a... Uh, yesterday, maybe two days ago, and he found the church through Sergio and Rhoda's David and Goliath series. Uh, this is a person that's in college. He's taking Hebrew, and he had some questions about the Hebrew, but he said, I've never seen anybody go through the Bible line by line before. Well, there's good things about it. You're going to learn the Bible, and you're also going to learn a lot of details, but uh, there are things that you will learn as you do this. In Numbers 32, I assumed that the tribes mentioned in our verses today pictured unsaved people because their inheritance was outside of Canaan. Uh, 
After going through all of the verses in Numbers 32 through Joshua 11, I cannot agree with that conclusion now. Even then, I was unsure, and I mentioned this in the introduction to the second Numbers 32 sermon. I was uncertain. I said, here, I'm telling you this, but I don't know if this is correct, basically. I just couldn't put my finger on what was being presented. Now, it is more apparent that there was a logical order of events in Numbers 21 that more accurately describes what the people of these tribes typologically anticipate. As a result, the typology concerning the meaning of these tribes, when elsewhere mentioned, would not have been correct as well. These people have an inheritance. Just because it is not in Canaan does not mean that they have not been saved. The crossing of the Jordan in Joshua 3 and 4 clearly pointed to Israel's national salvation, something that hasn't happened yet. But there are those of Israel who are already saved. We've got one of them in the church today. They have already received the inheritance offered by God in Christ. As I say, we learn as we go, and we will not stop learning until we get to the end. And I'm not talking about get to the end of the Bible, because we'll never stop learning the Bible until we get to the end of our walk here in this life. Our text verse comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I would rather be wrong and correct the errors as I go than to never figure out the typology of what is being said. This is often a very difficult trick. But God communicates with purpose and intent in his word. As such, we need to contemplate his meaning and figure out what he is saying. God is working through history. He's working through typology, prophecy, moral lessons, and so on in order to get us to understand what he is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. If we keep that in mind, as we continue through the word, we will be able to self-correct our previously incorrect thoughts. It bothers me that I may have drawn some incorrect conclusions in that Numbers sermon. But if the thoughts are corrected now, then we are on the right path. In the end, the Lord knows. We just need to keep on thinking and praying for discernment to determine what he is telling us. For now, we have six verses to look over. An inheritance is noted east of the Jordan. What is it telling us? We will endeavor to sort out the many names of people and locations as we go. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got three thoughts for you today. The first is Sihon, king of the Amorites. It's verses 1 through 3. Joshua 12 contains two main sections that comprise the sum total of the victories in the wars for the land possessed by Israel. Verses 1 through 6 detail the victories east of the Jordan. Verses 7 through 24 detail the victories west of the Jordan. These are notably divided further. The first set of conquests says, whom the children of Israel defeated for those victories east of the Jordan. That's in verse 1. This is further explained as these Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered in verse 6. 
the second set of conquests says, which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered. That's verse 7. Recording these, at this point in the narrative, serves at least two main purposes. The first provides a conclusion of the wars waged. The second provides a basis for the next main section of the book, where the land is divided among the tribes. That will commence in Joshua 13, verse 8. With that noted, the verses begin with verse 1. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated. The words begin with a conjunction to connect it directly to the preceding section. And these kings, the land who struck sons Israel. As such, we can more naturally see the flow between the ending of chapter 11 and the words here. The ending of chapter 11 starts with, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. And then chapter 12, And these kings, the land who struck sons Israel. Seeing this, the narrative continues with, verse 1 going on, And whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. More literally, it reads, and possessed, plural, their land inside the Jordan rising, meaning eastward, the sun. It is detailing the land won in battle prior to entering into Canaan. The battles are more fully detailed in Numbers 21. They are then recounted by Moses in Deuteronomy 2 and 3. Also, the division of those lands is carefully detailed in Numbers 32, and it is recounted in Deuteronomy 3. As the Jordan is a picture of Christ, the descender, the designation inside the Jordan is telling us that this land pictures events prior to Israel's national salvation that were detailed earlier in Joshua. This is based on it being toward the rising of the sun, as will be explained later. This land is, verse 1 continues, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. Minachal Arnon Adhar Hermon. From Wadi Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Nahal is a torrent or a wadi. It is derived from the verb Nahal, signifying to take possession. The name Arnon comes from Ranan, signifying to give a jubilant ringing cry and thus rejoicing. Therefore, this is the roaring stream. Also, verse 1 continues, and all the eastern Jordan plain, Vekalha Arava Mizraha, and all the Arava eastward. The word translated as eastward is the same word just translated as rising in an earlier clause. It comes from zarach, signifying to rise or to come forth, as in the dawning of the day. As such, it is eastward. The Arava is the place that extends about 100 miles south from the Dead Sea to the Gulf of Aqaba, forming a border between Israel and Jordan. The word comes from Arav, to grow dark or become evening. This is because of the darkness of the terrain. However, that is identical to the word arav, meaning to take or give in pledge. This is the land east of the Jordan. Verse 2, one king was Sihon, king of the Amorites. The Hebrew reads more simply, and it is singular. Sihon melech ha-emori. Sihon, king the Amorite. The name Sihon comes from a root that signifies to sweep away or to strike down. Thus, his name may signify anything from tempestuous to warrior. He is defined further as Melech Ha-Emori, or King, the Amorite. Amorite comes from Amar, meaning to utter or to say. Therefore, the name signifies being spoken of 
and thus renowned. It is he, verse 2 continues, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites. From here, the clauses in the translation are laid out much differently than the Hebrew. The rest of the verse reads, The dweller in Heshbon, ruling from Aror, which upon lip, wadi are known, and midst the wadi, and half the Gilead, and to Jabbok the wadi, border sons Ammon. It is defining the extent of his rule. First, it notes that he is the dweller in Heshbon. Heshbon comes from Hashav. It signifies to consider, to calculate, or devise. Therefore, it signifies an explanation of things, and thus intelligence. Aror means stripped, bare, or naked. It is on the lip, the lip of the wadi Arnon, and its border extended to the middle of the wadi, as is normally the case where a river is divided between two kingdoms. But more specifically, the city itself extended into the wadi. This is seen in Joshua 13, verse 9. It says, From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medibah as far as Debon. The city is also called Ar of Moab, such as in Numbers 21, verse 28. It belonged to the country of Moab. But Sihon's rule extended as far as that location. The careful designation of this city is given because there are two other locations known as Aror. One is found in Joshua 13, 25, and the other is found in 1 Samuel 30, verse 28. Along with this city, the rule of Sihon included half of the Gilead. Gilead means perpetual fountain. When Gilead is referred to, it is more of a great area that extends to both the north and the south of the Jabbok River. Here, it is identified with the area south of the Jabbok and extending to Wadi Aror. Jabbok, or Yabok, means pouring out. That is on the border of the sons of Ammon. Ammon comes from the word Am, or people. The sense is that they are the people called a people, and thus they are inbred, having their source in the union of Lot and his younger daughter. The area Sihon possessed continues to be described next, saying, verse 3, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Kinneroth as far as the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea. The clauses are a bit jumbled. It reads, And the Arava to see Kinneroth eastward, and to see the Arava, Sea of Salt, eastward. It is describing the western border of the land. It is the plain known as the Arava that extends along the Jordan River on its east bank and which goes from the Sea of Galilee all the way south to the Dead Sea. The name Kinneret comes from Kinnor, meaning a type of harp. The reason for the name is the shape of the sea. If you look at it from above, you'll see that. It looks like a harp when viewed from above. The harp is an instrument used for praising, prophesying, and making a joyful noise. As for the explanatory words, sea of salt, salt is a sign of incorruptibility. In the case of a covenant, it is a sign of the incorruptible nature of the covenant. This western border that goes to the south continues to, verse 3 going on, the road to Beth Jeshimot and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. Derek Beth HaShimot Umi Teman Tachat Ashtot Ha Pisgah. Way house the Yeshimot and from south under slopes the Pisgah. The word Beit means house. 
Ha is the definite article, and Yeshimot means desolations. Thus, it is house of the desolations. Pisca or Ha Pisca means the Pisca. It signifies a cleft. It is a high area where there is a cleft in the mountain. As such, it reads slopes of the cleft. The land is before us, but it is possessed by a foe. He must be removed before we can enter in. How will it be done? How can we make it so? It is a great battle we face. How will we win? The foe stands against us. We cannot defeat him on our own. What we need is the strength of the Lord Jesus. This is what the word has shown. Through his deeds, we can this foe defeat. And through what he has done, the battle, we can win. Through Jesus, this great foe, we can unseat. And in this, we can then enter in. Our second thought today is Og, king of Bashan. It's verses 4 through 6. Verse 4. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory. Ugebu Og Melech HaBashan. And territory Og, king the Bashan. As noted, the battle against Og is also recorded in Numbers 21. His name comes from Uga, which is a round baked cake. That comes from Ug, meaning to bake. The location, Bashan, is prefixed by an article. It signifies something like the place of fertile soil. He is next described, verse 4 continues, who was of the remnant of the giants. The word giants is an explanation of their size, not a meaning of their name. It says, Mieter ha Rephaim, from remnant, the Rephaim. The name Rephaim is a hard one to pin down, actually. It comes from a word meaning to sink down or to relax. This is similar to the Nephilim. That comes from Nephal, meaning to fall. However, Rephaim could also come from a word meaning to heal. If so, then it indicates that their size came from being invigorated in some way and probably through special inbreeding. The root Rapha also means ghosts or departed spirits, but that is not the intent here. They are a group of exceptionally large people who live in the area at the time. It is he, verse 4 continues, who dwelt at Ashtorot and Edrei. Hayoshev be'ashtorot u'be'edrei. The dweller in Ashtorot and in Edrei. The name Ashtorot was seen in Deuteronomy 1 and again in Joshua chapter 9. It is believed to signify unity of instructions and thus one law. Edrei means something like mighty. The meaning is that he dwelt in and ruled from both cities, probably having a palace in each of them. The narrative continues by next noting, verse 5, and reigned over Mount Hermon. The Hebrew says, in Mount Hermon. However, the meaning is over, not that he reigned from there. Hermon means sacred. Verse 5 going on, over Salka. Again, it says, and in Salka. Salka means walking. Verse 5 continues, over all Bashan. And again, it reads, and in all the Bashan. That is then next further explained. Verse 5 continues, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maakathites. The names are singular, to border the Geshurite and the Maakathite. The name Geshur comes from an unused root, meaning to join. Thus, it may mean bridge. They may have been located a spot that forded or bridged the Jordan. Ma'aka comes from a verb that means to press or to squeeze. Thus, the name signifies oppression. Geshur was a small area in the northeast corner of Bashan. 
It was adjoined to the area of Argov. We see that in Deuteronomy 3, verse 14, and to the kingdom of Aram, which is Syria, as is seen in 2 Samuel 15, verse 8. It is where Absalom, David's son, fled after murdering his brother Amnon, which is found in 2 Samuel 13, verse 37. The Maacathite dwelt on the southwest area of Mount Hermon, where the Jordan finds its source. This can be inferred from Deuteronomy 3, verse 14. Next, his kingdom continues with, verse 5 going on, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. This would be the northern half of the Gilead, with his southern border being the northern border of Sihon. The two kingdoms together form a large swath of land that comprises parts of Jordan and Syria today. It extends from the area of the Dead Sea all the way up to the area of Mount Hermon. With that noted, the first major section of chapter 12 ends with the words of verse 6 saying, These Moses, the servant of the Lord and the children of Israel, had conquered. More literally, it reads, Moses, servant Jehovah, and sons Israel struck them. The battles are carefully recorded in Numbers 21. There, it notes that these kings were the aggressors. They came out against Israel for battle, even though Israel had only asked permission to go through Sihon's land. After Sihon was defeated, Og then came out against them. His land, therefore, became a possession of Israel. Once it was subdued, certain tribes wanted it because it is a fertile land, well-suited to pasturing flocks. As such, verse 6 finishes with, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. More literally, and gave it Moses, servant Jehovah, inheritance to the Reubenite and to the Gadite and to the half-tribe, the Manasseh. This is the land east of the Jordan that is allotted as an inheritance to these tribes. Reuben means, see, a son. Gad means fortune. Manasseh has a dual meaning of to forget and from a debt. It is the kings of these areas that have been disinherited so that those of Israel can receive their inheritance. Another foe stands against us. Together they are united as one, but they cannot prevail against the Lord Jesus. Through him, this battle is already won. There is an inheritance waiting for us, and it is for sure that we will possess it, because we have on our side the Lord Jesus. Never to the enemy shall we submit. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, because through faith in his work, the battle is won. Our hearts are filled with joy and our voices raised. We are victors in Christ because of what he has done. Our third thought today is pictures of Christ. There are many names in this short passage, both of locations and of people. It is to be remembered that these things occurred before the death of Moses. Hence, Despite picturing the Lord, it is still at a time when Israel, meaning the nation, has not yet collectively come to Jesus. Despite this, salvation for individuals is available, as is clearly revealed in the verses that immediately preceded the account in Numbers 21, which began with a few verses concerning trusting in the Lord rather than self for victory. That is Numbers 21 verses 1 through 3. It then detailed the account of Israel complaining against the Lord and speaking against God and Moses. Because of that, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and many died. However, 
When they acknowledged their sin, the Lord told Moses to fashion a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Anyone bitten could look at the bronze serpent and live. Coincidentally, last night, Hideko and I watched a movie, and that was the subject of the movie, was Moses fashioning this bronze serpent and putting it on a pole, which surprisingly looks just like a cross. He's hanging on a cross. And then, of course, Jesus and Nicodemus are talking at nighttime, Nick at night in uh, John chapter 3 in this, and Jesus equates that directly to himself. So it's all typological of Christ, okay? And we were seeing that in those earlier sermons. It is a clear picture of those of Israel being saved by looking to the cross of Christ. That was verses 4 through 9. The chapter then contained poetic lines indicating how the Spirit is received. That was found in verses 10 through 20. Finally, we saw the battle where the two foes were defeated, Sihon and Og. That was in verses 21 through 35. So you see a picture is being developed before that battle. After their defeat, chapter 34 gave the details of how this land was granted to the Reubenite, the Gadite, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It is necessary to detail their inheritance again here in Joshua to fully settle the matter of why they received their inheritance and also exactly what land each tribe will receive. Because this happened while Moses was the leader of Israel, I could not see what these people were picturing. That's what I talked about in that sermon. I'm just not sure about this. While we were still back in the book of Numbers, I gave an opinion, and now I'm absolutely sure that that was incorrect. These Israelites describe either those saved in Israel prior to Israel's national salvation or those saved prior to the coming of Christ by faith in the Messiah. An argument can be made for both options, but it is certainly the first. This is referring to those who have received an inheritance in Israel. This will be seen more clearly in Joshua 13. These two and one half tribes received their possession first, and it is on the side of the Jordan, meaning the descender, picturing Jesus, eastward. East in the Bible signifies before. West is after. Although the word Kedem, or east, is not used, it is implied with the word Mizrach, or eastward. The root of that word, Zarach, to arise, is used to describe those who look to the rising of Christ and his effect on them. Here's what it says. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise, that word, Zarach, with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. With this understood, I should note that many of these locations are in a variety of passages from Numbers, Deuteronomy, and even Joshua. In order to be consistent, and this took a long time, I went back to the sermons where the names were mentioned to obtain the same meaning for the typology as was used before. So I had like 400 pages opened up on my computer trying to find every time their reference and make sure I'm keeping everything consistent for you. By doing this, we can have a consistent analysis of the words that are all lumped together in this one short passage. Their land is first described as from Wadi Arnon to Mount Hermon. Using the root meaning of the words, this could be paraphrased as from the inheritance of rejoicing to the sacred mountain. 
It is surely a picture of salvation and inheritance of the heavenly promise. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's verse 3, and then going down to verses 11 and 12, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to Gentiles, but his words include any who are saved in this dispensation, Jews or Gentiles. Earlier, I said we had one Jewish believer here today. We've got several. I wasn't thinking, and I I, uh, ignored a couple of them. Hence, it is before the salvation of national Israel, even if it includes some from Israel. Next, it says, and all the Arava, eastward. This is paraphrased as, and all the pledge, eastward. Hence, it is speaking of the Pledge of the Spirit, Ephesians 1.14, prior to Israel's national salvation. After that, it named the first foe, Sihon, king, the Amorite. In type, we would read, warrior, king of the renowned. In Numbers 21, I suggested that he anticipates the Antichrist, and there's no reason to amend that. And yet, it is true that there are already Antichrists in the world. 1 John 2.18, little children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. It's the spirit of Antichrist going throughout the ages. Those who come to Christ prevail over the spirit of Antichrist that exists in the world. He was next described as the dweller in Heshbon, ruling from Aror, which is on the lip Wadi Arnon, and midst the Wadi, and half the Gilead, and to Jabbok, the Wadi, border sons Ammon. Taking the meaning of the words, it says, the dweller in intelligence, ruling from stripped upon the edge of inheritance, rejoicing, and midst inheritance, and half the perpetual fountain, and to pouring out the inheritance, border sons a people little confusing, but here we go. When one inherits the kingdom, he inherits the whole kingdom. In this case, this is one of two foes to be defeated, and thus it speaks of the first half of the battle. Hence, half the perpetual fountain. The words, though confusing, speak of the various aspects of what Christ offers. For example, Paul says of intelligence in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Of being stripped, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, using the same term, laid bare. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The point is that the foe, described by these terms, will be defeated in order to provide the inheritance of the pledge of the Spirit, the reception of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, and so on. That description continues with, and the Arava to see Kinneret eastward, and to see the Arava, sea of salt, eastward. Once again, translating the words would read, and the pledge to see of the harp eastward and to see the pledge, sea of covenant 
eastward. Again, it points to the work of Jesus. The pledge is the spirit. The harp anticipates him as the source of prophecy. Harps, at times, accompany prophesying. And the salt anticipates his incorruptible nature, such as in Acts 2.27, and thus the incorruptible nature of his covenant. The direction eastward indicates that this is east of the Jordan, the descender, and thus it is an inheritance granted before the nation itself receives its inheritance. You can go back and watch the Joshua 3 and 4 sermons to understand that. The final clause of the verses concerning Sihon say, Way house the Yeshimot, and from south under slopes the Pisgah. Translated, it would say, Way house the desolations, and from south under slopes of the cleft. As it is on the way to the house of desolations, another word for death, it means that the house is outside of the inheritance. Under the cleft anticipates passing through Christ into the inheritance. With that, the verses turn to the land of Og. In the Numbers 21 sermon, I noted him as a type of the false prophet. Having said that, and just like the Antichrist, John says the following. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Therefore, even if there is one final false prophet, there is the spirit of the false prophet that has existed all along. Those who come to Christ overcome this. Like in Numbers 21, Og is said to be king of the Bashan, or place of fertile soil. His name comes from, as I said, Uga, which is a round-baked cake that comes from Ug to bake. The picture we see is one set in opposition to Israel. The Uga, or baked cake, is seen seven times in the Bible. It is that which nourishes and sustains life. Thus, Og, who is king over the fertile place of soil, anticipates this spirit of false prophecy that denies the people of God the truth and the nourishment of the word. He is noted here as from the remnant of the Rephaim. Rephaim signifies to sink down or to relax. Charlie's best guess, and I cannot be sure about this as to why he's called Rephaim here, is that he anticipates those who find the ease of the lies of the false prophets appealing. Peter alludes to this type of simple appeal in 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute, the spirit of false prophecy going on in the church even to this day. Here he is called the dweller in Ashtarot and in Edrei, or unity of instructions and mighty. The unity of instruction is against the gospel, and it is a powerful foe. His reign, until it is taken from him, is said to be in Mount Hermon and in Salka, and in all the Bashan. Translated, it would say, in sacred mount, and in walking, and in all the place of fertile soil. Until he is eliminated, access to the Lord is restricted. One's walk is opposed to the Lord, and the truth and nourishment of the word is unavailable. In his defeat through coming to Jesus, the inheritance is granted to everyone who believes. It then notes that Og's domain went to border the Geshurite and the Maakathite. The names mean to join, as in a bridge, and oppression. 
as they are outside of the inheritance, I would assume it signifies those who are not joined to the inheritance and who are under the oppression of the law. Go read the book of Galatians. Next, Og's rule was half the Gilead, border Sihon, King Heshbon, or half the perpetual fountain, border intelligence. As this is the other half of the perpetual fountain, and as he was defeated, the inheritance encompasses the entire perpetual fountain, the giving of the Spirit through Christ. The final verse referred to Moses, the servant of the Lord, and it noted the land the children of Israel had conquered. However, the typology of Moses is quite clear. The typological meaning refers to Jesus' fulfillment of the law, meaning Moses, and those of Israel who accept his work. With that, the final words of the section say that Moses gave it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Their possession, though not in Canaan, is clearly a picture of a possession in Christ. It's not that these people aren't types of those who are saved, as I once thought, but rather it is that they picture those who are saved prior to national Israel's salvation. The second set of 12 stones set up in Joshua 4, as I said, you can go watch that, are a clear representation of those who form the church, both Jew and Gentile. In the end, the point of it all, every bit of what we heard, and I know you heard a million names today, is Christ Jesus. That is the point of what we're looking at. His work extends out to all, to both Jew and to Gentile, and to both Israel and to the church. It is the same saving message to both. God has done it all through him. All we need to do as individuals is to accept this. And all Israel needs to do as a nation is to accept it as well. Time is marching on and we have choices to make. I hope and I pray that each person who hears this word will consider that and make the right choice by faith in calling out to God through Jesus. He is the only hope in this fallen and quickly failing world. Receive God's goodness as it is offered through him and be sure to do so today. Just in the past 48 hours, we lost a pope. We're hoping that he called on Jesus. We lost, um, what's the other person, the famous person? Um, Barbara Walters, thank you. I, Barbara Wawa. Anyway, and who knows what she believed, but now she's going to meet her maker. And then just last night, one of the um, uh, the lady with the, uh, the the three singers that were famous, the black ladies in the 60s. What's that? Pointer Sisters, thank you. One of them died. Uh, you know, great music when I was a kid, and now she's gone. And, you know, our, our lives are short. We don't know when we're coming to our end. So that's just in 48 hours. Three famous people and how many millions of non-famous people have punched their ticket. They're on their way to meet the Creator. And so let's be ready. Let's all have faith in our heart that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again. That is the gospel. We need to accept that premise before we die, or we are going to be separated from God forever. Jim talked about that today in a different context, but John 3.18 says it clearly. If you don't believe in the Son, you're condemned already. Your path is already set. What you need to do is switch the default position to Jesus, and then you'll be on a different path into a happier home. Please do so today. All right? This is what God would ask of us. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians chapter 1. You can see how Ephesians is a central part of what has been seen in these verses today. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things 
according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Next week is Joshua 12, 7 through 24. This is the nation's legacy and its reward. It is entitled An Inheritance Seaward. That'll be our 26th Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Well, we're at the beginning of the year. I mean, it's the first day of the year. I'm so glad. I said today we're going to have the smallest congregation ever, and I lied, apparently, because we got a good congregation today. But I figured everybody would be out so late partying last night that they wouldn't be here at church. So, But seeing as how, uh, who was it that noted that uh, the, the average age of the congregation here is like 97.3 years old, and so most of them are in bed at 5 o'clock anyway. So we all showed up. What's that? I said, no, that's you. That's me. Yeah, well, I'm getting there quick. I got to tell you, I did a lot of work this past, um, what was it, Friday? Oh, wow, I did a lot. I, I finished up a lot of the tree cutting down at the mall. I've got a little more to do back there, and it'll all be done. But I got all of the hurricane damage out of the way, and then I came home, and I just went through our yard, and I cut and cut and cut, and I piled it all up. I got 472 garbage cans ready for those guys. They're going to be so happy. <laughs> I went to bed, and normally I wake up at least one or two times during the night. Don't ask the reason why, I just do. I did not wake up, yeah, I did not wake up one time. I slept, I went to bed, I, I, and when the clock went off, it was like being beaten with a hammer. I'm usually beat, I beat the clock by 10 minutes usually. When that thing went off, I thought, oh, I just can't do it. You get old and you start falling apart. Our time is short. Call on Jesus, okay? That's what we need to do. It's the first day of the year. How many of us are not going to be here at the end of the year? We don't know. Okay, I've got a poem for you, but before I do, I've got some things. Now, I got this, and I, I'm going to give this one away today. Um, this says for giveaway. Now, I got a, a, a shirt from uh, Lisa White in Australia. Okay, she sent one to me this year from Charlie Missy. A lot of you have bought stuff from her, great shirts and jewelry and stuff. She's a wonderful lady out in California. And GratefulSaints.com or GratefulSaints.org. I can't remember. Anyway, um, she's got a great website. You can buy all kinds of great Christian stuff there. But Lisa White sent me a shirt. Uh, and then in the box, it says for giveaway. So I know what that means. But I don't know. And so Lisa and Charlie Missy, you're going to have to tell me, was this an added from Charlie Missy that she threw into the box for you? Or did Lisa White buy this for the church as well? I don't know. So uh, I want to thank whichever one for this, and I also thank for the shirt, you know, that I've received. But here we go. Uh, this is a shirt. It's a Christian shirt. It says something about a blessed hope. I, I'm not going to take it out because I want it to be nice when you get it. But if you get the question today, this is yours, okay? I got like, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to give this away today because I'm going to look at it one more week. We'll give this one away next week. This is unbelievable. My brother brought me two of them. He says, you're going to love this. It's called biscotti. It looks like peanut butter. Biscoff. Biscoff. It is unbelievable. It's way better than yeah, peanut butter. Okay. Now, he said, I've got you an extra one in case you want to give it away. And I don't want to give it away. But he said it, so this is going to go out. But that'll go next week, so I can look at it one more week. It is amazing. You've never had anything like this. So hang on next week. But for right now, we're going to give this away. 
Who alerted Naaman? Who alerted Naaman to the fact that there was a prophet in Israel who could cure his leprosy? Who said that? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I heard you say that first, but everybody else was talking at the same time, so I'm going to have to give it to him because he was the loudest. It wasn't a named person. It was a young girl that was taken away in the captivity. She ended up in this guy's house, and she still remained faithful to the Lord and said, there's a prophet in Israel that can heal you. So, um, that, and you know what? The funny thing about it is no name is given of this girl, and yet she had such... What? No, 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 no. He gets the shirt. He, I said I'm giving away the shirt today. I said, this goes next week. Next week. Next week. I want another week to look at this. Yeah. I said that. I, I was very clear. I said, I'm giving this away today. Next week. Everybody hear that? Everybody except you heard that. No replay. I was very clear that this is for next week to get you to pay attention. If you didn't hear that, listen, if you didn't hear that, you had peanut butter in your ears. Okay, we got to get our poem and we'll go on. This is an inheritance toward the rising of the sun. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated over whom they won and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. From the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain as it is known. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead. From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, not north or south, even a tad. Even as far as the river Jabok, which is on the border of the Ammonites, so they agree. And the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Kinneret as far as the Sea of the Aravah, the Salt Sea. The road to Beth Jeshimot, as the map denotes, and southward below the Pisgah Slopes. The other king was Og, king of Bashan and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, yes, it's true, who dwelled at Ashtaroth and at Edrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon and Salka, over all Bashan too. As far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maakathites, so it is known, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered on that day. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story of redemption. Thank you for the word of God, which tells us all kinds of things about Jesus and about his wonderful workings for the people of the world. And thank you that there are those of Israel who have come to a saving knowledge of him even since the beginning and who are still being saved and in greater numbers day by day. And thank you for the Gentiles that we have been included in that as well because of your covenant graces and because of your love for the people of the world. Thank you, Lord God, that you've made it so simple. We're not obligated to do something, but to simply believe. Thank you for that, because otherwise we'd all be condemned. We all want to do it ourselves, and we want to reject what you have done. 
but you have done the work, and praises to you for that. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who makes all things possible and all things new. Amen.